You're listening to episode 16 of the We Get the Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll talk about running through adversity with Joel Stetler. Welcome to the We Get the Runs podcast. We're your hosts, Letty and Angela, and we invite you to join us as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make running a favorite part of your life. Hey runners, welcome to episode 16. My name is Letty Lundquist and I'm your host. I hope you're having a great day this far. I hope you're going on your run right now or maybe you already did your run today or maybe you're not even running. It doesn't really matter. You know what? I'm not running this week either because this week is my recovery week. I did my very first Boston Marathon virtually two days ago. And guess what happened when I woke up Monday morning? I was not even sore. In fact, my alarm clock went off because I forgot to turn it off. And my alarm rings every morning between 5, 5.30. So I got up and I suddenly thought to myself, wait, why are you trying to go running? This is your recovery week. And then I realized, hmm, why am I not sore? So there might be many reasons, and we will elaborate on those in a separate episode. I'm planning on doing a Boston Marathon recap review episode next weekend, so stay tuned for that. Don't worry, it's not just going to be me. I'm going to have about five, six other runners on that will all talk to you about how their virtual experience went and I'm assuming we'll have a lot of fun talking to them, especially because everybody's experience is going to be so different. I mean, come on, it's a virtual marathon. So to me, the Boston Marathon did mean a lot, and um, it meant even more that it happened in 2020 for me. So for those that don't know me, I started running marathons in 2009. My first one was the LA Marathon. And um, I didn't take training serious. I was very serious about law school and passing it, passing the bar exam. And um, running was just kind of an outlet for, um, I don't know, anxiety or my time to not be sitting on my butt trying to study. So I didn't train very hard. I just did a few long runs prior to any race. And I was okay with any type of finishing time I had. Like I said, the goal was just to finish it. Um, my friends would always joke and say, hey, you need to um, qualify for Boston and do that with us. And I always said, you know what, I will age into it and I will run Boston 2020. So fast forward to 2018, I'm sitting there and I'm realizing that my Boston qualifying time from when I was in my 20s is the same as my Boston qualifying time in my 30s. Because as you all know, there's a qualifying time for Boston and that standard keeps getting lowered and lowered because we have more people running and more people running fast. So my qualifying time did not allow me to age into it. And instead I decided, okay, I had two kids. I need to get back in shape. I'm going to start taking my running seriously. So I did, and I did qualify for Boston in 2018. Oh, I'm sorry, 2019 after, you know, a few months of real training but then, of course, COVID happened, and uh, Boston 2020 was not going to happen because there was no way on earth I would run a virtual marathon. That was my whole mindset during the summertime, too, especially because I started having uh, experiencing plantar fasciitis and hadn't done any long runs since March. But um, I don't know, for some reason, suddenly, I think uh, two weeks before, two weeks, three weeks ago, 
the virtual marathon started sounding better and better and I really did want to get that medal so I decided to sign up for it and that's that's that so anyhow I was not sore and um, I still didn't go running so if you're not running don't feel so bad cut yourself some slack now I'm gonna move on and I'm gonna highlight one of our listeners like I always do it's a, a review from iTunes and it's a five-star review from runner girl 1045 and runner girl says I love listening to their podcast while running while on a run all the podcasts are very inspiring and very informative thanks girls thank you so much runner girl I'm glad that we're able to inspire you with our podcasts and also provide you with a little bit of information that's my goal as you know and I also want to um, always have a good balance of uh, fun inspiration information so hearing that from you makes me feel like we're coming across the right way of course i also at this point want to encourage you guys listening to please leave us a review on itunes that really helps our ratings and that in turn helps us being discovered on itunes so we have more listeners all right so today's episode is running through adversity and we're going to talk to our special guest whom i mentioned last week joel stetler Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So running through adversity with Joel Stetler, I chose this interview with him because I personally met Joel at what I call the last race on earth, the LA marathon of this year, 2020, which happened in March. And um, that was the last weekend before basically everything went into shutdown. That was back when we we're still all confused about what was going on and uh, whether or not we should travel and that was when the craze was happening of people buying bulks and bulks of toilet paper and there was no sanitizer to be found anywhere because everybody was hogging them. At that point, people were still hoping that the London Marathon would happen in April. And um, But yeah, that's all the topic for another day. So anyway, Joel Stetler was on a running team that I was on as well. I ran the LA Marathon for Brave Like. Gabe and I met Joel because he was on that team as well through a mutual friend, Phil Shin, whom I interviewed in episode 11. Phil is a two-time cancer survivor. And um, let's backtrack. If you have not heard about the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, I want to insert this here because I always talk about it and post about it. And I just assume everybody knows it. So the Brave Like Gabe Foundation was founded and named after Gabriel Greenwald, an elite runner who gained the support of thousands of followers on social media for perseverance and competing while facing a rare metastatic cancer. Basically, it's the beautiful girl that you used to see on Instagram with a huge belly scar. Unfortunately, Gabe passed away, but in her lifetime, she founded the Brave Like Gabe Foundation to inspire people to share their stories of being brave through their own struggles while also helping to find better and more effective treatments for rare cancers. All right, so back to Joel, who I met through the Brave Like Gabe Foundation. Joel is 36 years old, but he was diagnosed with stage four fibromyxoid sarcoma, and I will let him get into explaining 
what this means in his interview. Um, yeah, but that's what he's been diagnosed with. But here's who he is. Joel is a runner or even an ultra runner since um, you'll learn that he's completed 32 miles on his 32nd birthday a few years ago. And um, Joel is also a husband and a father. He's also a teacher, a musician. And uh, yeah, most importantly, he's a person who looks at life in a way that I believe we all should. So I'm excited. I don't want to reveal too much. And instead, I'll just play you my awesome interview with Joel right now. So I'm here with Joel Stetler. Joel, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I wanted to ask you, when did you start running long distances? My wife is a, an exercise physiologist, and so uh, she specifically worked with endurance athletes uh, her whole career. And so I was just around, you know, those people all the time. <laughs> and um, so... I mean, I remember my first like real race was the Disneyland half marathon and it was so like kitschy and hypey that, uh, I just kind of got hooked. Um, after that, our, our first, uh, real marathon together was, uh, California international marathon. I think that was 2009. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. So then from there on, you fell in love with the distance and you decided on your 32nd birthday that you wanted to run your miles. You wanted to be the guy that runs the mileage and birthdays. I'm sorry, the birthdays and mileage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, run your age. That, that was really appealing to me because I can't, I, I don't run particularly fast. Um, like I've never been on a podium ever. Um, and so, but, but I can run like, kind of far and it just seemed like a, a good goal for someone like me and and I'm the type of person if I put a goal on the calendar that really holds me accountable yeah that's awesome so then can you talk to us a little bit about um because as we know on your 32nd birthday you got diagnosed with cancer can you talk to us a little bit about the type of cancer that you have and your yeah. prognosis so it was about eight weeks after that run that um, I got a call from my surgeon. I had had um, a mass removed from my, my thigh. Um, and that's a whole story I'll probably get to later. Um, but she called me, it was like the day before Thanksgiving, and in a voicemail told me that um, what they found in my leg was cancerous. And uh, so later on, we went in um, and they explained to me, this is a low grade, fibromyxoid sarcoma. And um, I learned that that's a, a slow growing cancer. Um, and what that means is like, if you imagine the, the tortoise and the hare racing, um, your carcinomas that make up most of the cancers you hear about, um, those are like the hare. Mm -hmm. And um, I got the tortoise, the like the tank that just, it's, it's tough. And, and it's got this hard shell that makes it you know, really difficult to treat. Um, so it, it's slow growing and it most often starts with this just painless mass in something like the thigh or the abdomen. And so um, it's a sarcoma. It's one of like 50 some odd different subtypes of sarcoma. Um, and like, this is what's nuts about it. Sarcomas make up just under 1% of all adult cancer cases. And this, um, 
the low-grade fibromyxoid sarcoma is a soft tissue sarcoma, meaning it, it attaches to muscle, fat, um, nerves, blood vessels, skin, tissues, stuff like that. And um, that's, not, that's not even counting bone sarcoma. And out of these 50 different subtypes of sarcomas, the one I have is estimated to represent less than 5% of those. So we're talking like just a sliver from the 1% of adult cancers. Um, so I hit the lotto like big time on this. And then on top of that, because of how rare it is, there's really no known treatment for it other than, you know, the doctors will just be like, well, we got to take it out. And if it's found early, the prognosis is good because they can just go in and carve it out and, you know, keep an eye on you for the rest of your life. Um, but then about 10% of these cases become metastatic. So it travels, um, usually travels to the lungs. And um, that's, I'm one of the lucky 10% of those cases. And at that point, since, I mean, now we're talking about a sliver of a sliver, um, it's really difficult to hash out even a reasonable prognosis. Um, so yeah, and I looked it up. There's like, they estimated just shy of, of 2 million people um, that get diagnosed every year with cancer, 1.8 million. So if we're talking 1% getting sarcoma, that's 18,000 people. And 5% of that is just under 1,000 people. So it's really upsetting to me that almost 1,000 people, that's like a whole high school gym, um, are, are going to be told this year that they have an incurable cancer. Uh, you know, let's just make you comfortable, buy you some time. And um, my wife and I, Amanda and I, we, we couldn't accept that. Uh, and so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at with this cancer. We, we refuse to say there's, there's no cure. It's just we haven't found it yet. That's crazy. And if you think about it, because I know from your story that they didn't find it until five years after you had your first mass removal, probably because it's such a rare cancer. Yeah. And I mean, just to show how rare it is, I, I saw a doctor about this growth in my right thigh back in 2010. And this was like the most recommended um, oncologist in San Francisco. Um, and even he couldn't figure it out. And um, I was misdiagnosed. He said, well, you've just got a hematoma. You're, you're an athlete and you, you know, maybe you injured yourself. And I definitely hadn't injured myself, but I definitely had a hematoma there. Just he didn't realize it was caused by the cancer that was underneath it. And so he told me, oh, just wait five years, see if the hematoma heals. If it comes back, you know, check it out in five years and maybe we'll drain it again. And so then when I told you I, I had a, a surgery and after my birthday, they, they diagnosed me with cancer, that was five years later. And the crazy part was also that you didn't really have any pains except for your leg was um, a little bit bigger by the muscle mass, right? Yeah, it was just like uncomfortable. Like my, my right quad always felt like I had run really far the day before or something. So what does it look like for you now? Has anything changed? Um, are you still feeling okay? You just have this cancer that you're running around with? Well, so I'm lucky enough to live almost symptom-free. Um, my leg, it, um, 
I remember at the LA marathon, which you, you had a good day that day. Um, I was running with Phil Shin. Uh, and I remember about mile 15, I had to tell him like, Hey bud, uh, at this point, my right leg starts to feel like it's made of wood. Um, because I reach a point where my right thigh, um, just the, the scar tissue becomes really, uh, cumbersome in the, in the high mileage. Um, so there's that, um, and my lung capacity isn't what it used to be. Uh, you know, I was actually supposed to have a lobectomy and that lung surgery I talked about, but they kind of threw that out when they saw all the cancer that was there. Um, and so when I get into the high mileage, uh, lung capacity starts to be a little bit of an issue, but like, who doesn't have trouble breathing? After? Right. I was going to say <laughs> after 15 miles, we're all huffing and puffing too. Yeah. So like I start to feel like a lot of pain and I'm breathing heavy. And at 15 miles, I don't stand out. <laughs> it's I, I'm in good company there. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, okay. So then, um, once you guys received the diagnosis, and I'm saying you guys because, I mean, you and your wife, you both talked about it, and you seem to be in a very positive space. How were you able to go from such a diagnosis of not even knowing what's going to happen to feeling, you know, how you feel now that you seem to be a very happy and positive person? You have your family, you have your goals, you're planning a big run for your birthday. How did you um, make that transition? Well... Yeah, it definitely didn't start out this way. It was it was tough. We felt like, gosh, we will never be happy again. And, you know, it was at the holidays. So we're like, will we ever have a real Christmas again? Will we ever have a real Thanksgiving again? Um, and I, I was in a job where, like, it... it it felt very real to me that my paycheck was tied to how I dealt with cancer and that wasn't a healthy place for me. So I had to kind of step away from that. And that's why I'm a public school teacher now, which I love doing. What were you um, before that? I, I worked, I, I was a youth pastor for a while and it's just naturally when someone in that position gets terminally ill, you know, people watch and I think cancer patients ought to, be free to wrestle with their predicament. And um, it just wasn't a place where I had a lot of elbow room for that. Um, and plus, I just always wanted to be a teacher. And my oncologist was like, dude, you, you're terminally ill. If you want to be a teacher, go teach. And like, that was such a freeing thing to hear someone say to me. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go teach. And, right. and, and I did. And it, it was one of the best thing, one of the best decisions we ever made as a family. But once I got that freedom, um, I started to really read like the Stoics, like Marcus Aurelius and um, Seneca and, and see things as they really are. Um, that's one of the major kind of outlooks that Stoics have is, is you, you think about your perception of something that's happening to you. And if you're going to see something as it really is, you see that it's neither good or bad. It just is. And, um, I mean, sure, cancer is destructive and it can be scary, um, but nothing in life actually makes us feel something. Like when we feel sad, we're not being made to feel sad. It's, it's actually a choice we're making. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, you know, because circumstances can really pile up. But um, when, when we feel like we're in the weeds, 
and circumstances are piling up and, and we feel like that panic setting in, we can also choose to be brave. And I'm scared all the time. I have, I have cancer. I wake up scared, but I can choose to, you know, keep going. And so the way I choose to perceive my cancer um, can be all the difference between the creation of it or the, the destruction of it as an obstacle. And, and Marcus Aurelius, he talks about um, obstacles a lot and about how um, I've got a quote here. He said, the, the mind adapts and converts to its own purposes, the obstacle to our acting, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So that's from his um, meditations. Uh, and I, I read um, meditations, uh, his, his book, uh, almost every day before work. I, it's just a wonderful way to start my work day. And I realize that this power of perception um, is always going to be in the cancer patient's hands. Like nobody can take that away from me. I can give it up. I can, I can give up my choice to choose <laughs> how I look at things. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to because nothing we experience, good or bad, is, is without the potential benefit of a lesson. And so then people ask, well, what about the low points? What about those times when you're just bogged down in fear? Um, and I just, I, I feel like there's always a different way to look at something. Always. There's never just one way to take on a situation. And, and so I look and there's always a way out. I always tell myself there's always a way out. Not like James Bond type of mindset, but like if I can't figure out a way out, like I can't find a way out of my cancer right now but I have to use that powerful word, which is yet. And we talk about that with our students every day, the power of yet. Like I, I, you don't say I can't do long division. You say, I can't do it yet. And so there's really nothing to gain from getting work up because, you know, uncertainty, that's just attention. Life is full of tensions and you can relieve tensions by taking authority over the situation, exerting some sort of agency that you're free to use because it's your life. That's great, Joel. That's um super interesting. What was um the author in the book that you were just referring to called? I can link it in our show notes. Oh, so Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Um, so that that is a long held uh, Stoic classic. Um, yeah, lots of good stuff about fear and um, perception observation, uh, you know, kind of weathering the storm. That's a whole like stoic outlook. It's not, it's not a religion or anything like that. It's just a way of kind of reading the room, I guess. Um, you know, negative emotions, they don't, they don't cure my cancer. So I, I choose to domesticate them. Now that's a, that's a really great tip to just take a step back and look at this whole situation. I mean, look at even just this year, who would have expected something like this to happen or, you know, some things in life are just mm -hmm. kind of you have you have no control over. You know, you don't have a control over. But if there's an accident tomorrow, so what you do have right now is your life, and you can act and be happy and make the most out of it right now, and you know, keep fighting like you said. And you know, I also heard you say 
on another podcast, and that's a quote that really stuck with me. You said, don't disarm your support team. And I think that's just really super impactful because whenever something happens to us, something that's negative, we all tend to take a step away and we try to solve it on our own, maybe because we don't want to hurt the people around us or maybe because totally. it's too difficult to work through. So um, can you tell us how you came to realize this and um, what you are doing different now? Yeah. I, so when I was initially diagnosed with that voicemail, um, I kept it myself, I guess kind of for a few reasons. Number one, I just flat out panicked. Um, I, we had already been through a cancer scare with my wife that year, actually. And it included a pretty gnarly thoracotomy uh, on her just before Christmas that previous year. And um, so I knew uh, what a bombshell this would be on our family. And I just honestly couldn't find the words to, to break the news. So you know, those two reasons, I panicked, we, we had a history. And then also, like, I just really wanted to enjoy Thanksgiving with my family, because it was the day before Thanksgiving, I got that call. I wanted, I genuinely wanted to watch them, you know, just one last time in our house, um, to see my family without cancer looming over them. And that's still a, a really sacred memory I have is, is that day, you know, treasuring just every second, um, watching Amanda and, and the kids, you know, be happy. Um, right. Cause like being the family of a cancer patient, I, I didn't really understand it at that time, but I knew it was, you know, no small task. And the amazing part was the second I broke the news to my wife, Amanda just stepped into that role. Um, and she's been my squeaky wheel ever since, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. She's, she's the one who gets my, my early appointments and she's the one who gets my surgeries scheduled earlier. And she's been amazing. And, and all that anxiety that we carried about cancer, um, from, from her predicament, that was just gone. The second that she learned that I was sick and that I needed her. So when I was going through chemo and, you know, trying to do my job, she was the anchor that would, uh, you know, help me hold fast. And, and she made sure that even though our kids had a really scary situation going on with their dad, that they had everything they needed uh, to, to be and feel safe and to be healthy, even in the throes of uncertainty. And so if people ever wonder how I'm able to keep my eyes up, in the struggle, they just, they just need to look over and look at my wife. Cause when they see her, they see why I'm okay. Um, and then when they see my kids, they see why I'm driven and why I'm motivated. And, um, the amazing thing though, is when we ran together, Amanda got us onto team brave, like Gabe for the New York city marathon last year. Um, and that was my first like alignment with brave, like Gabe. Um, and I got to actually meet Gabrielle Grunewald's support team for the first time. So um, I had never known Gabrielle Grunewald. I, I didn't learn about her until after she had passed. And so it was really special that we got to join like her team um, in New York City because learning about her story helped me finish my first post-diagnosis marathon in San Francisco that year. 
Um, so I just, I entered into the New York City Marathon with a lot of gratitude toward Brave Like Gabe. Um, and then, man, I'll never forget what it was like. Uh, we hit mile 26. Uh, I remember passing the sign and then hearing my name get shouted. Um, and, and I heard, you know, I heard Joel, Amanda, and, and we look over and it's Justin Grunewald standing there. And that was just so special uh, to see somebody in that shirt shout our names and know our names, you know? Right. Uh, such a big race. Yeah. And so then after the race, Justin, um, who is at this point now running the, the foundation, uh, he took us all out and the other team members out for beers at Gabe's favorite New York city brewery. Um, and that's where I got to chat with him for the first time and, and pick his brain. And, um, we got to meet her sister, Abigail that night. Um, one of the most special nights of my life. And, and over time we've met other people who are close to Gabe. We've met her best friend, Ladia, um, through Brave Like Gabe. And of course, you know, we met Carrie Tollefson um, and chatted with her. And so it's become so clear to me that um, it's no wonder that all the best things about Gabe were so bright and loud because she was surrounded by some really fantastic people who helped her be her best self, even in her worst moments, um, health-wise. And so, yeah, I never got to meet her. I, I didn't know her, but like her, I have personally seen what can happen when caregivers are equipped and free to step up and love a patient and support them and empower them through their struggle. Because I've been the, um, the recipient of that myself. So I've seen it in the dozens of other fighters also that I've met in the wake of all of that, the, the other cancer patients and their caregivers. And so I would say if you ever see an inspiring person out there, um, an, uh, an inspiring cancer story, um, chances are there's a pretty amazing caregiver that's got their own chapter in that book. Yeah, that's amazing how much strength they can provide you with. And for you, I mean, your wife and family sound absolutely amazing. And the way that your wife stepped it up you know, even though she was probably scared, but she has to be strong for you. And then you guys lift each other up. But that sounds even better. And um, Brave Like Gabe is just such a great organization. Hopefully we'll get to talk oh, to Justin yeah. one of these days here on as well. Stepping away from cancer a little bit, what tips do you have for people that are in a negative headspace? What can you teach them or teach us and how to change your life to the positive? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't really speak to specific, you know, ailments or issues. I, I mean, I, I can relate to struggle in general, you know, and um, circumstances not, not being optimal. But yeah, the, the perception for me is, is huge because um, I can't remember who said it, but I read that the perceiving eye is weak. Um, so you don't just perceive, you observe. And um, because if you observe, you're being objective, you're stepping back and assessing the situation, you're taking pause. So I can say I have, you know, X, Y, Z, and it's bad. Okay. And that statement, like I'll say cancer, I have cancer and it's bad. That's actually two different statements. You're saying I have cancer, that's objective, you're stating a fact, but then you're adding it's bad. So if I'm being perceptive and saying that it's bad, I'm bringing more baggage into the fight where I really ought to be lightening my load. 
So you want to be objective where you're steady and in control and stoic, um, seeing things as they are. Um, so be objective, change your perspective, um, or be willing to change your perspective. You know, being sick, it's, it's my condition, but it doesn't have to be my fate. Um, so I used to say, I'm, I'm powerless here. We'll never be happy again. You know, we'll never have Christmas. But guess what? That day in New York City, we redeemed November. Uh, we got Thanksgiving back. And we had a lot to be thankful for uh, last year at Thanksgiving. Um, doesn't mean I changed my cancer. It's still there. The obstacle is still very much in my way. But it has also, you know, become the way, just as Marcus Aurelius said. Because um, cancer loses its power or... Um, you know, whatever ails you loses its power over how you live your life. And the second you break it down and look at it differently. That's awesome. No, that's a great way of looking at it. And um, how do you feel running has helped you with all this um, running miles and training for, for races? How has that impacted your, your life? Well, you know how, like they say where the head, where the head goes, the body follows. Um, That works the other way around too Um, because my head is almost never in the right spot when I wake up for a run. Um, I have to get myself out there and and show my body, remind my body what running can do for it. Um, And so getting out there and reminding myself that I have a commitment in in the very least to myself, you know, I made a plan. Um, I put it out there that I'm going to do this run uh, or this race so I, I have to live up to that, right? It's, it's an exercise for me. I, a, a lot of people say, you know, when I, like Phil, he, he says it all the time, oh, Shin, I, running is when I feel the most alive. Um, it, that's a statement. I, I completely believe it, you know, for him. When I see him run, I, I see yeah. him being alive. Um, when you see me run, you're not seeing a guy who's just <laughs> totally alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're seeing a guy who's working toward that caloric deficit at the end. <laughs> and, um, but like I, at the same time, I, I get it. Um, one of my, my biggest life lessons I actually got, um, not from a runner, but from a Disney world photographer of all people. Um, we were at, I mean, we're usually a Disneyland family cause you know, California, right. but, um, I, my sister got married in like 2008. And so we were out there in, cause she lives in Orlando and we were out there. So we went to Disney world and I mean, it was hot. Like, I don't know how you guys do you're, you're in Florida, right? We are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how you do it, but it, it was hot and, and humid. And we were there at um, animal kingdom and we were trying to get our picture taken in front of that big tree of life they have. And um, you know, the Disney photographers, they always have their blue pants and, and the, sh- the white shirt and the vest. And this guy had long sleeves on and it was so hot. And uh, so I asked him, uh, man, how do you do it? You're, you're smiling. You're all chipper. I mean, look at you. And it's, this is like 110 that day. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I was trying to give him freedom to like complain about his job and he just wouldn't do it. And he said, uh, you know, once you submit yourself to the struggle, you realize it's not so much of a struggle after all. And I'll be damned if I haven't carried that statement with me every day since then. It, it changed me. Um, I tell it to my students on the very first day of school every year. 
uh, what, if you submit yourself to what we do in here, you, you realize um, there's a whole world in here for you. And um, I even have a picture of a camera in the front of my classroom to remind them of that story. And so when I take that story into the running world, it's, it's one of my mantras that I carry with me. Um, submit yourself to the struggle, submit yourself to the struggle. Um, and, you know, I'll be damned. It's not so much of a struggle after, after a while. You, you, you find your stride. You, you get your head in the right spot. Um, and once you do it, once you submit yourself to whatever the obstacle might be, a run or cancer, um, financial burdens that you have to work through, you realize that you actually have the power to turn your predicament into an opportunity. That's a great quote, Joel. I'll, I'll be using that one too for my upcoming races. And um, oh, and that said, you know, you have a pretty long run coming up too. Your birthday is September 17th, turning 37. And yeah. in honor of that, you're going to run 37 miles on September 19th. Tell us about that event and um, who's involved and if there's any way that we, the listeners, can support you. Well, so this whole thing started like, like we talked about earlier, about five years ago. Um, and that was going to be the thing I did every year. Um, and then after my diagnosis, running uh, went out the window. And um, a year later, I, there was a uh, sarcoma 5K that happened to be scheduled on my birthday in Denver where we lived, which was nuts because you know, you know how rare sarcoma is. So it, it was appropriate for me to, to be there, even though I was healing from a lung surgery. Um, I actually had a broken rib from playing with my daughter. Uh, so it was, it was a really tough, uh, 5k, but I finished, uh, and my wife was there telling me at the end, I remember she hugged me and she's like, see baby, you're not done. And that's just how she's always, she's always been right there speaking life into me. And so it's always been ever since that moment, it's been in my head, I'm going to do that birthday run again. Um, so I've been slowly working back up to it, like really slowly. And, you know, she got me back into a half marathon, then full marathons. And, um, but this run, um, it was a thought I had um, back in the springtime. I kind of floated it by Amanda. She's like, yeah, you're definitely doing that. Um, and then Runner's World put it in their little member section in print. And that made it like an actual commitment. Nice. Um, it's like... If, it's a commitment in runner's world. Does yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not accountability, you know, um, so it's going to be at the Fresno um, art of life healing garden, which is a really special place for me because uh, when I first started running years ago, it, this was the spot, it, the, the healing garden wasn't there, but this was the spot where Amanda and I always started our long runs. And um, then we moved away for several years because of work and when we moved back to Fresno, it was so I could teach, but it's also close to all the best California hospitals. Um, and so I was actually out here for a job interview. I had flown out just by myself and I stopped at the park to go for a run and I show up and now it is this big, beautiful, like three acre art garden. And it's called the, the Art of Life Foundation Healing Garden. Uh, where different organizations have come in and put up displays and um, art pieces. And uh, it's, it's an amazing place that 
it's my running home. So that's where I'm going to be starting and finishing this 37 miler, uh, which is my first ultra marathon attempt since my diagnosis and surgeries and treatments and all that. Um, the goal, um, originally I wanted it to be something like Gabe's favorite number, which I can't remember the story behind that. Ladia knows it is, but is 1405. I was like, I think maybe I can raise that much. And so I ran it by Phil Shin. He's like, Oh no, dude, make it like a hundred dollars a mile, $3,700. So that's the goal. Uh, we're going to try to raise $3,700 for brave like Gabe. Um, and, and I hope to have a lot of help, you know, spreading awareness, uh, of that goal, um, because it really goes a long way. Um, I, like you pointed out, Brave Like Gabe is such a wonderful organization. They've created a community where um, patients like me and families like mine can, um, you know, speak the same language. That's one thing I noticed when we were having beers with Justin and Abigail was that like, they say all the things about cancer that we say all the time. Um, and it's nice to hear your own language spoken back to you every now and, and then. Um, but, um, even further is Brave Like Gabe does a wonderful job funding rare cancer, um, studies. And so that's what this money is going to go to. Um, and if anybody out there wants to join me, um, if you're in the Fresno area, you're free to show up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a public park, it's a beautiful place and I'd love to see you. But if you're far from Fresno, you can just, you know, like, like you said, you're going to do, you know, go on a run that day. Um, and, uh, you know, post the hashtag brave, like Gabe tag me in it. So I get to see it. Um, and I mean, I get earlier, we were talking about creating a hashtag. So, um, I think we'll do 37 for brave, like Gabe, um, and encourage your friends to join in on raising awareness and raising funds for rare cancer research. Perfect, Joel. Thank you so much. And um, if people want to reach out to you, how can you do that? Do you have an Instagram or a website? So Instagram's uh, the best for me. I, uh, yeah, my, my handle on Instagram is hey, Mr. Stetler uh, with underscores in between. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and telling us about um, your life and your struggles and giving us all this positive feedback and ideas of how we can get out of something that is not so pleasant and get into a positive headspace. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Cool. Well, thanks again. Of course. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again so much, Joel, for this awesome conversation I had with you. You've taught me more than you can imagine. One of the things that I wanted to point out again to our listeners was that Joel said, don't disarm your support team. So if you're struggling with anything, why not reach out to friends and family members? Chances are you don't have to battle whatever stuff you've got going on by yourself. The other thing I really liked about this interview was your passion for your family and also for your birthday run. I'm as far from Fresno as possible. I'm in Florida, but I will get up and go out on your birthday or on your birthday run day and hashtag 37 for Brave Like Gabe for my run. I will also place a link to the fundraiser in our show notes and on Instagram to help you try to reach your goal of raising $3,700. And um, if you guys are interested, that's exactly where I can find all that. 
Last but not least, I want to touch on the Stoic philosophy that Joel was talking about. And I promise you guys, I will not make this into any kind of religious or philosophical podcast. Um, I believe that everybody should just do whatever is right for them. Believe in something, don't believe in anything. Whatever works for you, just be a good person. But um, the whole Stoicism, I went out and read about it, bought the book Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, as suggested by Joel. And it really spoke to me, and I want to share it. Because I feel like us as runners, we sometimes have to have a strong mental game. And I feel like this philosophy could help us get there. So in a nutshell, Stoics say that we don't control what happens to us. We can't control what the people around us say. We can't control our own bodies, which, you know, they get damaged, sick. And ultimately, we all die regardless of our preferences. The only thing that we can control is how we think about things. So the key to happiness, Stoics say, is cultivation of an excellent mental state. So you can't really go wrong here. Anyhow, I'm gonna move on to our next segment. Our next segment is with Australian physiotherapist Brody Sharp. As always, we're featuring, featuring one of our listeners who's asking a question and Brody will answer this question on air. So I'm gonna make that phone call now. Hi, Brody. Thank you and welcome back to our podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Letty. How are you? I'm doing great. So we have a few listener questions for you whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's fire away. I have another one from Wes Boplan. Boplan has dull pain above his kneecap. What could it be? It crept on after a hard run and he's had this pain in the past before. He's had an MRI done and he shows a healthy knee. Okay. If the MRIs come back all clear, we can instantly rule out a couple of things, which is really nice. Um, if it's dull kneecap pain and it's just above the knee, there's a lot more information I'd like to know as in like, does it come on during the run? Does it come on after the run? Does it come on the next day? Um, where can you exactly locate where the, um, the location of the pain is? Uh, there's a, a couple of diagnosing questions I like to ask, but let's just assume uh, with the information that we have um, that it is very dull. It's hard to locate. It seems with the information that Wes has given us in most cases, this is the most common running injury. It's called patellofemoral pain. And a lot of qualifying questions I like to ask is, can you locate it with one finger? If you can't locate the pain with one finger and you're kind of just like um, giving me a very vague area, there is, it's often going to be patellofemoral pain, uh, which means that the kneecap itself, the kneecap joint has increased its load and you've increased the ability for it to tolerate whatever load you've put it through, which kind of makes sense if you said, uh, Wes, if you said that it crept on after a hard run, it might have been that you've increased uh, the load too much and the knee has been unable to tolerate that load and therefore gets a little bit sore. Um, so that would be my answer to your question of what you, I think it could be, but that's not to say we can't rule out any other potential diagnoses once we know more information. And if, and if it is this type of injury that you just described, what is he supposed to do? What type of exercises can he do to heal? Yeah. If he, if, um, if Wes was already an experienced run, already doing a lot of running, 
my advice would be to not completely rest. I would definitely have maybe a day or two off running if it was particularly aggravated and then just get back into running maybe at about 60% of what he was doing previously and then slowly working your way up. And sometimes if you catch it early enough and the symptoms aren't as severe, uh, it can just be as simple as making slight modifications to your running and slowly working your way back up. And uh, if we want to add on any other additional uh, things, if that's not getting better, sometimes some quad stretches can be quite nice. Um, I've had patellofemoral pain in the past and quad stretches have helped me quite a lot. Uh, if that is still starting to cause problems and we're still doing low levels of running and still producing symptoms, it's going to have to be some strengthening. So just level of lunges or squats or step ups, those kind of things within uh, pain limits. And we can also potentially look at addressing uh, gait retraining. So having a look at his cadence, having a look at his running technique to see if there's any little modifications that we need to make. If for example, his cadence, the amount of steps he's taking per minute is really low. Evidence has shown that if you increase your cadence by just as much as maybe um, 10%, five to 10%, that can decrease the load of the patellofemoral joint by 20%. So that's a huge reduction and that can be enough to help stimulate um, rehab rather than provoking symptoms. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Brody. That's great advice. And uh, if Wes or Peter want to reach out to you, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, so a couple of ways. My website is breakthroughrunning.physio if they want to send me an email and um, look at all the other information I do have around these sort of injuries. I am pretty active on Instagram, so brody.sharp is my Instagram handle. And my Facebook group, the Run Smarter Podcast, they can reach out there um, and say hi. Just reach out and say um, any other qualifying questions or any other follow-up questions, I'll be more than happy to answer. Great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Letty. Thanks again, Brody, for answering one of our listeners' questions. And if you guys are interested in having your question reviewed by Brody, please send us a message or an Instagram and um, we will make sure that we air your question on the show and have Brody answer it. All right, you guys, that's it for today. Usually I do mantras or jokes at the end of an episode, but this one I want to end with two quotes. The first one is my favorite one from Joel, and the second one is a stoic quote since we're on that topic. So number one, submit yourself to the struggle and turn your predicament into an opportunity. Number two, like seeing roasted meat or other dishes in front of you and suddenly realizing this is a dead fish, a dead bird, a dead pig. Perceptions like that, latching onto things and piercing through them so that we see what they really are, that's what we need to do all the time. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, we hope that we were able to provide you with something of value. Make sure you like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. Our account you can find under WGTR Podcast. Thanks. Until next time, have a great week of running.